the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning a the game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not this night. We don't pay attention to what happens, what goes on the outside. We just do our job. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. Towards the pylon. Touchdown, Washington. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a jerk move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. Gavin Young puts the drive up 9-63-54. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. Back from a weekend hiatus and back by popular demand, Panhandle Sports Live is on the air for this 11th day of December 2023. I'm Luke Wiggs. Parker Stone is back, had an exciting weekend catching up with some NFL football. We'll talk about the game that he was in attendance coming up here in just a couple of moments because it was an exciting end to that Raider game. Daniel Woods is here as well. Myself and Daniel Woods got to sample some area high school basketball over the weekend. We'll talk about that because we, uh, we saw a lot that we liked and I think that some questions that we'd like to see answered from EPAC teams over the next couple of days. Gentlemen, how was the weekend for both of you? Well, I guess I'll start. It was an it was a fun weekend. We spent the weekend in Baltimore. Uh, went with a girlfriend. She was able to catch up with some old friends from back in her college days, and we got hooked up with some really nice Baltimore Ravens tickets to Sunday. So well, I got to see what some may call the game of the weekend. That was a super fun contest. Got to always good to see a former Giant and Odell Beckham score a touchdown in person. That was really fun, and uh, it was a great game. Fantastic, and despite a little bit of rain here and there. It was a really fun environment. I was very impressed from what Baltimore brought as a football city in that contest. And the Rams, too. I mean, I heard, I saw somebody tweet this that the Rams might be the best six and seven team in NFL history. And the Rams are sneaky good guys. They, they, they got some really good guys playing right now. Stafford looks like he's back in it. Uh, Kyron Williams at times just looked like a bell cow playing running back and it's always fun seeing one of the best defensive players of all time play football in Aaron Donald. So all that was really fun. Uh, for me, it was a pretty solid weekend. Saturday, got out, tried one of the pizza places that the folks on the text line uh, have recommended. Throw it out. We, went to, we went to Kushwa. Yeah, we went to Kushwa Brewing, hit up Rad Pies. A very solid pie, I will say. I'll say that I wasn't the biggest fan of the Detroit. If I go back, I'm going to yeah, try what I, you got. I got the Neapolitan style was and was, was a big fan. Very good. Um, hit up hit up Rad Pies and Kushwa Brewing. Then, uh, like you said, Hit a couple of EPAC basketball games, got to see Musselman, got to see Hedgesville boys. Uh, and then Sunday, spent approximately eight hours on the couch watching Red Zone and playing Commercial football. free football. Watching watching Red Zone and uh, playing football manager. So you can't ask for a much better weekend uh, when it comes to relaxation. Absolutely. Well, guys, let's get into today's show. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm tired. It was, a, it was a weekend that I stayed up to watch my fantasy hopes get dashed. You know what I need right now? 
I need a Panera super powered lemonade. I yeah, think that's ma- what I maybe not. <laughs> hey, it's all right. My mine are dashed as well. I mean, I, I've go, I've gone on diatribes before to both of you about how my team's just been decimated with injuries. So I, I know everybody's been decimated, but I'll, I'll run down the list for you: Deshaun Watson, Christian Kirk, uh, Tank Dell, uh, Saquon Barkley was injured at one point. Devon A. Chan injured at one point. It's been a rough season. We're going we're gonna to lose again, it looks like, this week. Five-game losing streak for the Panhandle Pirates, sadly. So we're going to miss the playoffs. Silver lining, though, we made a really great midseason trade. We shipped out Quentin Johnson and Damian Pierce, a couple bums, out to somebody else for Hollywood Brown, and we got a first-round pick. And it looks like that first-round pick's going to be the third overall pick. So there's a stud coming home to the Panhandle Pirates this spring, and I'm very excited about that. So... Hopes for 24. We're, we're crossing our fingers for a good fantasy season. Only Parker Stone could turn my conversation of Panera Lemonade <laughs> into his dynasty football team. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. As far as my fantasy situation there goes. There we go. There we go. Uh, well, let's get them all out. I'm just, just going to say uh, we have, not officially, uh, but unless Devon Echan goes for, let's see, 22, negative 31 points tonight, uh, my dirty kittle secret has clinched first place in the regular season That's gross. which means i will at least be getting my money back in this league uh at the very least uh so my dirty kittle secret headed to the playoffs as the number one seed uh but not to not to derail us from the sports talk for a minute luke when we're discussing our weekends i think we also for a moment have to discuss the absolute disaster of a decision that the two of us made to stay up and watch saturday night live on oh, saturday oh my goodness that was why horrible. would you watch saturday oh, night live I, you know, in 2023 i said to daniel we were driving back from the uh, hedgesville game and i said um because daniel's got youtube tv and i yeah. haven't had some kind of television provide just log into apps with my parents direct tv login uh because that's where i'm at financially and i said <laughs> hey man you've got youtube tv i haven't watched saturday night live in years we should give it a try Oof. yeah Big that was your first. That was Adam, your first mistake. When Adam Driver is the yeah. most funny part. I mean, yeah, Adam I Driver mean, was the host, and he was the funniest he, person. He carried on the show. that entire show. That was that was rough. Anyways, but yeah, you're right. It Olivia was, Rodrigo, uh, musical guest. She was uh, she was pretty good. She's pretty good. Um. Anyways, uh, Panera Lemonade. Let us know if you tried it. Three zero four two six three four three two one. And if you're still alive, uh, <laughs> one of the things that you could have um, uh, kept up with over the weekend on Thursday was a Friday show. We did our EPAC basketball fantasy basketball draft. Uh, we picked 15 players from what we think is the best high school basketball conference in the state of West Virginia, and then we put them out to vote to see what your opinions would be on the rosters that lined up like this. Daniel Woods had Caleb Thomas, Jaden Gladney, Matt Mahood, Colton Shelton, Josiah King, Parker Stone, Jamari Jenkins, Lakai Uth-Smith, Chuck Gore, Chris Dolman, Max Anderson, myself, Troy Wollaston, Keyshawn Cheek, DJ Boardley, Tyler Jones, and Quincy Pitsnoggle. The results are in, and Daniel Woods' team by a demonstrative 48% of the vote of the 29 have voted, and we appreciate you doing so, uh, takes the cake uh, for what the listening audience feels is the best EPAC basketball, fantasy basketball roster. Close race for second place, but Parker Stone beats me by uh, 3.5 percentage points. So I have this message for Never Troy Wollaston, Keyshawn Cheek, DJ Boardley, Tyler Jones, and Quincy Pitsnoggle. They're sleeping on us. They've been sleeping on us. Never and boys, in doubt. I hope you guys have a fantastic season and prove a lot of people wrong uh, because I think that uh, we were absolutely robbed. But congratulations to Daniel. But you mentioned those EPAC basketball games. We've got a, a brief time to talk about them, Daniel. But let's start with what we saw, and we'll begin with that Musselman-Bridgeport game. It was a game where Musselman, to me, struggled a bit with the identity of establishing the presence that they wanted to have in the paint. You know, one of the old sayings for football is, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. 
you know, it seemed as though sometimes you'd say, well, Musselman has two post players, but they struggled to get them really going offensively. They were flashes. Colton Shelton collapsed the defense. Gavin McLean briefly looked good shooting the basketball. Logan Shelton was able to push the tempo, and both Wollaston and Mahood had their moments, but it was not a finished product for this early in the season. Um, it was a very well-coached Bridgeport team that was able to get around the various looks it was a really odd 2-3 zone that Musselman was trying to throw at him to create some pressure. I thought Bridgeport handled it well. So what we saw from Musselman is certainly not the Appleman team that we're going to see in February. You can see the idea of what this team is going to look like at its best, but there's still just a little bit of work to do. You're right, and I, I want to give a lot of credit to this Bridgeport team that lost a first-team All-State player and Anthony Spadafore that was their do-everything guy, and then they were able to come out this week and not miss a beat. And we had this conversation sitting there and I'm not going to belabor the Bridgeport point for a while, and you looked at me like I was crazy when I said this, but I think Dave Marshall's one of the five best boys basketball coaches in the state of West Virginia. I'm not there yet. And, yeah, sorry, Dave. And that's that's really hard to overcome when you're playing a team that's that well-coached early in the season, and it was it just seemed like when things broke down, Bridgeport executed better than Musselman in this game. And like you said, there were some spacing issues. There's guys that are going to knock down shots well, for this team what that was weren't the, knocking down shots. The name of the kid for Bridgeport, Sickles? Phoenix there, Sickles. He mm. is a good player. I and mean, you know, I'm not dunking on a, I don't know how old he is, 16-year-old. But he got to the rim a little bit more with ease against both Mahood and Williston than you would like. And I'm sure that's going to be addressed in the future. Good sure. player. But I don't think he should have had as many touches that close to the rim. I would agree. Uh, there were there were some defensive lapses for Musselman that you would like to see improved. And I think when you have two athletic guys in the front court, the caliber of Troy Wollaston and Matt Mahood, that's going to improve. And we didn't see a guy like Matthew Mahood play his best basketball in that game. Uh, Colton Shelton, really impressive as a live yeah. dribble passer. I mean, like maybe the best in the EPAC. Um, guys like Wollaston and Mahood are going to be more productive in the future than they were in that game. It really was just, I would say, a worst-case scenario kind of performance from Musselman where Bridgeport was able to attack some of those gaps and pick up momentum, and they never gave it back. Well, and then in the second game, so that was uh, Musselman losing to Bridgeport. Parker Stone, we got to see Hedgesville against the IDEA Academy, uh, and our IDEA Academy, and they hit a bunch of shots. You know, uh, I had this made this comment to Daniel that Hedgesville might be the best shooter's gym in the EPAC because it, it handled it really well. But what we saw from the Eagles is a, a, kind of what we expected. Three players carried the load offensively. Tay Wilmer looked great. His handle, his ability to shoot the ball, change of directions, up-tempo, and transition. Xavier Kirk started the game hitting a shot five feet behind the line. He also did some good things, collapsing the 2-3 zone, getting in the middle. He's a very good athlete, and he showed the ability to shoot the ball. And then Quincy Pitsnoggle, I think, did a lot of things that impressed me and Daniel when we were there at the game. Defended the rim really well, had a dunk a couple more times, tried to dunk through contact, which he's going to catch a couple bodies this year, and it's going to be scary. Mm. And he shot the ball incredibly well. Hedgesville loses that game because they run a pick and fade, get a wide open left corner three for Quincy Pitsnoggle, and he missed it. It's going to happen. He missed it. It was a quality look for the best shooter that Hedgesville had, and he missed the shot. The concerns with Hedgesville is, you know, Ganey was very good defensively. Noah Brown, very good defensively. But they didn't offer much on the offensive side of the floor. Hedgesville brought in Landon Pence late to go a little offense defense. They brought in an extra sub early on for Pittsnoggle that only played a couple of minutes. But they played five guys for almost the entirety of this game. And three of them contributed at a high level offensively. Now we saw great things from Wilmer, great things from Kirk, great things from Pittsnoggle. But Hedgesville is going to have to find that fourth or fifth piece, I think, offensively to take the next step. 
Well, if you don't have depth in this conference, I don't think you're going anywhere. It's the sentiment I have in the EPAC. That's really what Hedgesville's got to find. And we're going to get a, be- a measuring stick test as Hedgesville is going to host Berkeley Springs this Wednesday to see where both these teams are at. Berkeley Springs themselves have some questions to answer after Gavin Young's transfer. It's going to be Landon Seatrum's team, I think, for the most part. And for the Hedgesville side, for their playmakers, this is a chance for them. If you look at it on paper, I think you would favor Hedgesville by a little bit in that matchup. But it's a game where both teams got to really get off on the right foot. Right now is where you kind of get the momentum going in your season, getting the start. But now is a good time to not put yourself back in the horses race because we saw what happened to Musselman last year. Rough start to the season. They had to play almost perfect basketball. And to Derek Basile's credit and that staff, they did play as just as good as they could have played down the stretch and, yeah. a, and saved their season. But you want to not put yourself in a position that way to where you can afford a loss at some points. And if you're going to be down in the month of December and you're going to have to play perfect basketball from the middle of January all the way up to sectional time, for both these teams, I think this Wednesday is going to be really important. And Daniel, really quickly, um, I think we were really impressed with what we saw from Xavier Kirk developing as a shooter, but specifically Pitsnoggle and Wilmer both did some things. Tay Wilmer kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a better version of Beetle Bolden. And then Quincy Pitsnoggle showed a lot of things from a confidence standpoint that he didn't necessarily show last year during the junior varsity season. Uh, you're absolutely right uh, on all of those fronts. Again, depth is going to be the thing for Hedgesville, but their first three guys I would put up against almost anybody in the EPAC. Again, I say that having not seen four of the teams <laughs> in this conference play live, we've seen Jefferson here and there, yeah, bits and pieces and online, like that, that kind yeah. of thing, highlights, uh, and we know what they are. Uh, but I say that not having seen four of these teams live. Wilmer, really impressive to me in his ability to run that team. Xavier Kirk as a guy in transition, as somebody attacking the rim downhill. And then if he can consistently hit an open jump shot from behind the three-point line, he's going to become a really big threat. But the biggest takeaway for me was was Quincy Pitsnoggle. I mean, again, he's doing it against a team that played a 2-3 zone the entire game. It was a lot of in-rhythm, close-to-the-basket opportunities for him, particularly early in that game. But... I can't see why if he doesn't play like that for 22 games that he's not one of the best players in the EPAC this year. And Kelly Church talked about it where Quincy, one of the things he said was Quincy needs to decide whether or not Quincy wants to do this. And it seems like at least from the aggression and the mentality that we saw in that game against IDEA Charter, that Quincy Pitsnoggle has decided he wants to do this and he wants to be pretty dang good at this because he has the ability to do that. Certainly. Well, we've got a break to take. We're off to a, a fast start for EPAC boys basketball. What about EPAC girls basketball? The Martinsburg girls basketball team getting things underway in a game that you're going to be able to hear this Wednesday on WEPM and WCSC. We'll be joined by their head coach, Ronnie Fitzpatrick, on the other side. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Want to revisit an episode of Panhandle Sports Live? Follow the Panhandle News Network on Spotify today. Welcome back, Panhandle Sports Live. You can text us 304-263-4321. It's Luke Wiggs, Daniel Woods, Parker Stone, hanging out with you on this Reaction Monday. 
Um, before we do that, though, we want to start our conversation of EPAC girls basketball. It's the Martinsburg girls take on Petersburg. You can catch it this Wednesday. Uh, 7.30 is when our coverage will begin. Daniel Woods will have the call uh, for a really exciting Martinsburg girls basketball team. Experience in the front court. Uh, younger guards with a lot of athleticism coming back in the backcourt. We are able to catch up with their head coach, Ronnie Fitzpatrick, over the weekend. Here's how that interview sounded. Uh, well, Coach, a uh, little bit of a curveball here right off the bat. What's it been like over the last couple of months to become a, a York College of Basketball fan, or College of Pennsylvania basketball fan? Uh, because I know that's where Kayla's uh, going to be playing her collegiate basketball. What, what's that experience been like? Oh, it's been great. It's been great. Um um, Coach Whitman out there actually has been there for this is her 27th year, I believe. Wow. Um, and it's, it's been great. You know, I've had the opportunity on, on some, some off Saturdays or some off weekends to get up to see a couple games. Um, my wife and family's um, gone to see a few more than I have. Um, but it's been great. Um, the, the, the program, I think, is a strong program. She develops kids really well, and, and, and Kyla's enjoying it. She loves it. Well, is it going to be a little bit different watching uh, Mackenzie Brezovic play in a way that you can kind of root for her now? Because I know she's in that freshman class as well. Yeah, she is. She is. She is. So the funny thing about that, and I don't know that a lot of people uh, know it, of course, it's not you know publicized and all that, but um, I've coached Mac for, for years. We um, Mackenzie Brezovic and Kyla played on my travel team for years. Uh, we were, um, you know, traveled the whole East Coast. Uh, many, many times. So I, I'm, I've known her for many years. Um, her dad actually was, was my assistant on the travel team. So i um, very familiar with that family. So we meet at games and, and go and have dinner afterwards. So it's, it's going to be a fun, a fun four years. Very good. Well, Coach, let's start by uh, as well looking back at last season. A couple of games below 500 uh, for the Bulldogs, but a really, really fun stretch to end the, the regular season. You had a, a winning streak going into you know sectional and regional play, and then it finished with one of the more exciting games that we got to cover in your game against Washington. It was very competitive there until the very end. As you take a step back and look back at last season, what are some of your takeaways? Well, just that. Um, we finished – um, the way that we should have started. Um, I think that the, the year, um, as we began it, we were still learning each other. Um, my staff, which I'm very lucky to have, um, Dave McKenzie and, and, and Coach Adams, um, but we were learning the girls and, and, and what worked best with them. Um, of course, installing our system and kind of getting them to do some of the things. It, it, it took a little, a little time. Um, but as we started to come down the stretch, we, we, we came on strong. The girls started to, to trust each other. Um, they worked so hard all year round. So it was just good for them to, you know, to have you know, some opportunities to win and display some of that. Of course, the way it ended, you know, a, a state title is, is, is standard in, in our gold every year. Um, so, of course, it didn't end the way we wanted to, um, but we were tur turning up. You know, and we started the season right after that was over. So we, we, we've, we've been working at it um, not just for the past two, three months, but um, since we lost to Washington. Well, Coach, you mentioned it. It was a strong end of the season for the Bulldogs on the girls' basketball side of things. So what's, what's the correction going from last year to this year to have that stronger start and put Martinsburg girls' basketball in a better position to get themselves back into the state tournament this year? You know, just consistency. You know, I think one of the things that we talked about last year was winning every day at practice, and, and that hasn't changed. You know, so consistently working hard, consistently doing what we need to do on a day-in and, 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 and day-out basis. And the girls have done that. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for us to get started. We, we start off um, with a, a, a tough start. 
Um, we're going up against Allegheny, who's um, a strong team. Uh, we'll come back with Petersburg. Again, another strong defensive team, well-coached program. And then uh, we'll go down to, to, to play Southern, Southern Garrett, who's I've you know seen some film on them. Really good up-and-coming up team. So we start off, it's, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. But that's what we need. We, we need to start off and have some good competition that puts us in a place to where when we're ready for um, EPAC play. And, you know, all the teams there are have improved, and, and I think it's going, to, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Anytime there's a, a coaching change, there's obviously a feeling out period. You have to put your system in, and I'm sure there was an adjustment period for yourself as well as the players last year. Uh, so have you seen a, a different level of comfort now as you go into this second year? Sure. Um, you know, it, it, there is always, you know, kind of that adjustment process where, you know, you start to just feel out, you know, who you have, what they're good at. You can see some things, you know, on the practice floor, uh, but it's, it's never the same when you have those live bullets and that, that game film and, and, and how, how you're going to respond to adversity. You know what I mean? That was one of the, the biggest things is, is seeing how the girls were going to respond, how we were going to respond as a staff. Um, so, yeah, a lot more comfortable in that. Um, receive a ton of support from the, our, our, our athletic department in, in, in the school in general. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're in, a, in a better situation. Um, it won't be uh, if we don't perform. It's because of what we've uh, – us, us as the coaching staff and, and players are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. So we're, we're in a better spot. Well, coach, coach, let's start by breaking down your roster as well. You know, you look at Bradley in the middle. Let's start with your forwards. You know, she's a known commodity. You know, has good size and good skill as well. Her along with who are going to get the, the the most minutes for the front in the front court for you this season? Yeah, so you you go right back to um, Addie Stroll. Um, she was a, a sophomore last year, played a ton of minutes. I think she probably started almost every game, if not all of them. Um, so she'll be a junior this year, almost average a double-double, um, runs the floor like a deer, um, good hands, you know, a, a, a three-sport athlete. She's played lacrosse, won a state championship there, and also a volleyball player. So really excited about her. Um, Ava Underwood is another junior um, that we're excited about. Um, extremely aggressive, brings a level of toughness to the team. Um, then Serenity Ritchie. Um, who, who, who's an addition that, that we're extremely excited about. She's a high IQ kid, can play, you know, positions five through two, um, probably even can run the point. Um, um, great passer, just, a, just a, you know, really well, well-rounded um, athlete there. Um, and that, that's probably our, our, our strongest and who received the most minutes um, at, at, at those positions. And coach, I remember watching games last year and being really impressed with some of your underclassmen and really athletic guards yeah. uh, that are coming back. You know, kind of take us through your guard play. I know, you know, guys or girls like Nelson, Medina, Rodriguez that are coming back. Who are going to be some of those ball handlers for you? And, you know, it seems as though, like I said, you've got some significant speed there at the guard positions. Yeah, and I'm, I'm uh, really excited about it. You, you. You name one right off the jump, Kayla Nelson. Um, speed, um, hard worker. Um, I mean, this kid would go um, to her cross-country practices and then come in the gym and, uh, and meet us in the weight room for workouts in the offseason. Um, she's really becoming into her own, um, hasn't played a ton of basketball in her life, um, but has really been working at it over the past couple of years. Um, she's going to see a good bit of time at the point guard position. Love her speed, love her tenacity on, on, on defense. Um, Kiana Santabria, um, who, you know, 
probably, again, started 90% of our games last year. I'm really excited about her and her scoring potential. Um, she's shooting the ball at, at a lot better clip um, and just getting confident in who she is as a player. Um, Jordan Green, another girl who, who had varsity minutes but didn't play a lot, um, is just developing all around. And that's just some of the sophomores. But when you look outside of the, you know, the sophomores, you got another senior, Haley Martin, um, who is just a really good defensive, great passer, high IQ, um, can play, you know, that, that point all the way down to the four position. Um, loving what we're getting for her. Um, Chloe Irvin um, is another kid who is a high-energy kid, core kid, leader. Um, really excited about some of the potential in her. Um, and I know I'm missing somebody. Uh, Nia Gideon, another, another uh, senior from last year. Um, a lot of speed, can defend, shooting the ball better. Um, so, yeah, we're, I'm really excited about um, a, lot of, a lot of our guards and, and what the potential they have to do and put their stamp on the game this year. Well, Coach, you mentioned conference play earlier on. Let's dig a little bit deeper into that now. you got a team with your team going into this season. A lot of people are saying, well, maybe the measuring stick this year might be Washington from what they're coming and bringing back. But, again, we've had the conversations. The the second spot, if we look early, much, much early into the season, is really up for grabs. We've seen Musselman win a couple few games with Coach Potter in his first year. Hedgesville's won as many games as they did last year playing this moment. How are you feeling with conference play later on this season and what's it going to take to take that corner and be one of the more premier teams in the EPAC conference? No, I think I think you started off right there. I mean, Washington is returning everybody and uh, ended our season last year. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be a, a tough team to handle. But I think, you know, when, when you peel back from that, um, it's going to be up in the air. Um, I know Coach Potter is going to have those Muslim girls playing hard. They've already they started off on a good foot, um, and, and, and they're ready to compete. You've, you've seen a lot of them in the offseason um, go well. Um, Faircloth down there at Hedgesville, um, I, I, he's won his first couple games as well. Um, I think that he's he, – he, the one thing about them last year is they got better and better as the season went. You know, we played them three times. Um, but they were a lot better each and every time. So I, I would expect nothing, you know – um, less from them um, this year. Um, Jefferson, you know, um, Damon Smith always has those girls ready to roll. Um, I know he did lose some some key seniors, um, but, you know, they still got one of the best guards in the area and uh, Jasmine Taylor. Um, so Spring Mills, of course, they, you know, there's been some change over there. But, you know, when, when you're a winning program year after year, um, kids learn to win. Um, so I'm sure these girls that, that you know, um, that, that left, there's some that's sitting right behind them that are waiting for the opportunity. So it's going to be up in the air. It's going to be tough sledding all the way through like it always is. Um, Well-coached teams. Um, I, I just look for us to get out there and compete every day. Then once you get out on the court with this team this year, another year under everybody's belt, another year in the system, uh, what can we expect this team to look like stylistically once once you guys start playing? Sure. Um, you know, we want to be a team um, that, of course, starts with our defense. Um, we've got good size. Um, we've got good length, and we've got good speed at the guard position. So um, we, we, we look to defend um, full court. We look to change things up on you a little bit and try to um, confuse you. Um, and just be a well-rounded defensive team. Um, it, it starts there on the boards with our sides and things like that. If you can put together a good uh, d defensive plan and, and, and out-rebound teams, it, it makes it tough. 
um, offensively. I, I, you know, we, we look to, you know, get the ball inside. Um, I mean, with, you know, with our size and, 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 and who we are, um, we look to utilize that a little bit. Um, but, th- but at the same time, we can run the floor. Um, I, I, all of our bigs can get up and down the court. Um, they, most of them can score um, from the outside and inside. Um, so we look to, to pound it inside. But w- once you try to stop that, we, we, the girls have been working on their shooting, so we plan on hitting shots on the outside as well. That's Ronnie Fitzpatrick, the head coach of the Martinsburg girls basketball team. Parker Stone, we got to see Martinsburg play one of the most exciting games of the season last year in their sectional, I'm sorry, regional championship game against Washington. Unfortunately, they came up just a little bit short, but you've got a girl in the middle in Cadence Bradley who's as skilled as a big girl, as I've seen in the EPAC over the last couple of years. Really athletic guards, good depth, and the second year of establishing the culture that Ronnie Fitzpatrick wants to establish. Questions as to who the second team is going to be in the EPAC early on because we know that Washington is the biggest known commodity coming back. And a lot of people are saying, why not the Martinsburg Lady Bulldogs? I mean, that's a valid question. I think really that second spot is totally up for grabs right now. Anybody can go get it. And I think that's what makes this conference on the girls' side. It's going to be exciting because you know what you got in Washington and you know that they're probably going to be the one of the two teams that will make their way back to Charleston this season, barring anything insane. It's wide open for that second position. We've mentioned Coach Faircloth's got the girls at Hedgesville playing really hard right now, and they've won as many games already as they did all last season. That's impressive. You look at what Coach Potter's done in his first season at Mosselman. They're, they're already rattling off a lot of wins, and they're playing a lot better. There's a lot of optimism, I think, going on in a lot of schools. Martinsburg, for example, too. They're another team that they have the pieces. They gave Washington a really great game in the regional final. That gives you hope to say, okay, maybe this could be the second team that comes out. Maybe Spring Mills pieces it together again. I know a lot of what they had last year and what was successful is not on that roster this year. But, again, you got to expect that a team that one was there last year and won games in the state tournament can't be too far off if you may want to call it a rebuilding year but they still have the foundations in place in a winning culture in place to say they are at least going to still be competitive in the dance so i think this second spot's going to be really really competitive and i'm excited to see what can happen and on the jefferson girls too i forgot to mention them they're again another team there they were in the regional finals last year too so it, the second spot is it's wide open as it could ever could be i think yeah certainly so we got a break to take like i mentioned you can catch the martinsburg girls basketball team in action this wednesday uh well daniel will have the call of that game you're not going to want to miss that in all of the epac girls and boys action that we have this uh season on WPM and WCST break to take we'll look back at a wild NFL weekend um, and uh, get our experts thoughts you're listening to Panhandle Sports Live it's Panhandle Sports Live follow our socials for updates on live broadcasts of local games Evans hangs a wobbler Wallace settles under it at the 25, gets a block, comes to the near side, 30, spins out of one tackle, 35, along the near sideline, 40. He's at midfield. Wallace to the 40, still on his feet, 30, 20, 10, celebration time. No flags. Wallace in the end zone. Hayes in the barn, and the Ravens win it in overtime. 37-31 was the final score. The Ravens beating the Rams. The Ravens now 10-3. and Daniel Woods, are we looking at the best team in the AFC right now? We might be. Uh, we can have a conversation after last night about whether or not the Kansas City Chiefs have lost that title. Um, but w- we might just be. I-, I don't love that they had to play a close game uh, with 
the Los Angeles Rams, who I still don't really believe in. Uh, but it's it's an interesting conversation to have, and it's a conversation that the Baltimore Ravens, through their play, have forced us to have. Yeah, certainly. Uh, so they win that game in a walk-off punt return for a touchdown in overtime. You mentioned that Kansas City Chiefs game, guys. we got to get into the controversy. They lose to the Bills 20-17. to If you haven't seen it, a touchdown that was taken off the board for Kansas City on what was a remarkable lateral uh, from Travis Kelsey to Kadarius Toney. Kadarius Toney is having a season and some may argue a professional career to forget because that play was taken off the board because he lined up offside. Before we get Parker Stone's thoughts, let's hear the postgame thoughts of Patrick Mahomes, who was livid about the call from the officials and had this to say. Let us play, man. Like, let us play the game. And then whatever happens, happens. Like, the whole throwing the flag and deciding the game one or another, that, that, that's what hurts me. That's why, like, last week I didn't say anything because it's, it's letting us play, man. Let us, let us go out there and win the game. And I said I'd rather them let us play and go out there and, and see who wins. So, Parker Stone, Patrick Mahomes is furious that the officials who are paid to throw the flag when penalties happen is upset that the officials threw a, pl- a flag on a play where a penalty happened. Well, I'll lead off with this. The officiating in the NFL this year has been absolutely atrocious. It's been awful, and it needs to get fixed. I I mean, it's just been a flag fest all year long. It's flags that shouldn't happen, flags that do happen that shouldn't happen. Officiating this year is awful, and it has to get fixed. I'll lead off with that. But I will also lead off that Katerius Tony is a bum, Katerius Tony is awful, and Katerius Tony <laughs> should not be playing NFL football. He sucks. He's awful. Get him off the Chiefs tomorrow. Get this man to Canada right now. He's awful. He stinks. <laughs> Wait, Get but ready to learn Canadian, bud. With that said, um, Patrick Mahomes, not a good look for you know a guy that has gone through this point of his NFL career, Daniel, with not a ton of controversy. I mean, it's a bad look. I understand that it's a it's a game that Kansas City felt was a must win. It was a game that was stolen away from them because of an unfortunate play, but it's not the official's fault that Kadarius Tony was lined up offside. You play a game with rules, yeah. man. Like I, I get it. It's a procedure penalty. You don't want that to be what decides the game, but you're taught in Pop Warner football when you line up at receiver, check with the side judge. He will tell you if you're offside. And Kadarius Tony clearly didn't do that. And Andy Andy Reid said, you know, if it, it, it said it's embarrassing for the NFL that they weren't they didn't get a warning for it before it's like okay I get that that may be common practice but at the end of the day you play a game with rules and you have to play within the rules of the game or you will be penalized for it absolutely and Kadarius Tony whether it was a big deal or it affected the play or not did it affect absolutely it did not affect the play but it's just another reason don't don't do it but he did not play within the rules of the game well here's what was penalized well here's what's getting people fired up there was photos of von miller on buffalo's side lining up offside i saw that when the ball was snapped as well but at what point though does it matter because Kadarius tony was already offside you know what i mean when he steps across the line it's just it's against the offensive player anyways. And another thing you can see in those photos is at no point did Kadarius Tony turn his head to the left and look at the no. official. And, he was, yeah. and what I will say is, is this Patrick Mahomes has been a guy who his entire NFL career has in the media outwardly been pretty likable. That's what I did. exactly what he's, I just said. He's not done anything that has made people not think highly of him 
in his public dealings, in what he does professionally, in his professionalism. And this is a bad look. Well, look at what went down at midfield. If you haven't seen the video after the game, he goes to shake hands with Josh Allen. And think about what this game meant for Josh Allen and for Sean McDermott, who's just getting pulverized in the media right now. Um, you beat Kansas City. You beat the best team in the AFC at the time. Although, like I said, now I think it might be the Ravens. And you have this huge moment where you're back above 500. You're back in the playoff race. You just outdueled Patrick Mahomes. It's a big moment for Josh Allen, who a lot of people were throwing stones at because of the way he'd been playing over the last couple of weeks. And you have this moment where you walk out to midfield where Patrick Mahomes, of the 100 games that he's played in his career, would always go up to say, man, you got me today. That was great. Great game. Whatever. Instead, he's met with a red-faced Patrick Mahomes saying that was, and it was expletive-filled, of course. I'm not a lip reader, but everybody knows what he was saying. The worst call I've ever seen, and then walks straight away from Josh Allen. You know, that's not something that we've seen from Mahomes in the past at all. And that post-game press conference was uncomfortable in so much as the point that he argued that taking that touchdown off the board is going to do damage to the Hall of Fame career of Travis Kelsey. No, it is not. Get over yourselves. <laughs> and again, this is an argument that you hear more in basketball, but it's what basically what Patrick Mahomes is arguing here. And it's one of the arguments that I absolutely hate the most in sports is people coming out and saying at the end of the game with the game on the line, officials need to take a step back and they need to let the players decide it. No, if, if that offside penalty against Kadarius, Tony was going to get called in the first quarter, it needs to get called in the fourth. Yeah, quarter. Well, the officials have a job to do. Yeah. They're graded on their correctness the, of calling these. They goals. are there to do a job just like you are, buddy. Yeah. I don't care that you are the best quarterback of your generation. Cause the, <laughs> Those those officials are there to do a job, too. Because the flip side of this is Bill's Mafia is one of the craziest fan bases on Twitter. Gets a hold of that footage if it stands that Tony was lined up offside yeah. by a yard and a half. And the next thing you know, that crew's not working a playoff game. Your entire feed is screenshots of Kadarius Tony being offside. Yeah, and that yeah. And then that officiating crew gets a letter from the NFL, and all of a sudden they're not, they're not refing in the playoffs. Yeah. But the silver lining, I think, is this. Officiating has just been awful this year, all the way together. I think it's been awful. And it needs to get fixed. Yeah, I there's just been, there's in, been in too that, many mistakes. In this that year. instance, I can't blame officiating though. Is the, the point I I think I want to make. You know, it's just don't don't do one of the most avoidable mistakes. But there have been too many field. of these this year. There have been too many moments where officiating has decided NFL games. I don't see again. I don't think officiating decided this game. I think Kadarius Tony decided this game. No, I agree. But there's been too many moments that the officials have come under fire this season that it's become a very big problem in the league. Yeah, I just the last thing we want is then we go to robo officiating. No, I'm not saying that. No, that's that's no. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, you can ask for better accountability of officials in the NFL and at the same time say that they got this one right. Yeah, yeah I think those things, yeah, you're right. They can be mutually exclusive, and I think they are. Uh, one more game I want to talk about specifically because I know Parker Stone has some takes about the MVP race, and I think that uh, this year's MVP is going to be playing football tonight. Um, i got to be honest with you guys. I'm not going to believe in anything the Cowboys do until they win a playoff game, but, man, they looked pretty darn good last night, didn't they, Park? They looked real good. They beat the for context. They beat the Eagles thirty three to thirteen. They looked real good. I I think right now MVP is a two horse race. It is Tyreek Hill and it is Dak Prescott. I think it is between those two guys right now. 
If t- my opinion, I think this is how I think it's going to happen. I think Dak wins MVP. I think Tyreek wins Offensive Player of the Year. As long as it's not Brock Purdy. I know he Although does he not deserve for three hundred and sixty-eight yards on Sunday. Yeah, I mean when when you look at an MVP, and I think we all share the sentiment between the three of us. When you look at an MVP, the way we look at it is, is if you take this person off their roster, off their team. How much does it does this team suffer? And I think the two guys right now in the league that if you say if you take this person off their roster, their team is going to suffer. It is Tyree Kill. It is Dak Prescott. Dak's playing the best football of his career right now. Tyree Kill is going to set records at the wide receiver position this season. It's between those two guys, and I think either one of them is a valid choice. I just I. I know McCaffrey's having a fantastic season in San Francisco. I know Brock Purdy's being really efficient at quarterback. I just think that there is so many good factors on the 49ers roster that if you remove a Christian McCaffrey, if you remove somebody, then that team's still going to be really good. And you can have that argument for Dallas too. Well, if you replace Dak Prescott with uh, Cooper Rush, then they're maybe going to win seven games. But I just Dak's playing the best football of his career. Tyree Kill is going to set records at the receiver position. It's between these two right now, I think. Well, one more question I wanted to ask you guys before we take a break. I think the other headline over the weekend is uh, a couple of teams from the AFC North down to uh, the bottom of the barrel when it came to quarterbacks uh, are playing very good football. Jake Browning, yet again, leads the Bengals to a victory over the Colts 34-14, throwing for 275 yards and two touchdowns. And Joseph Flacco throws for three touchdowns. And 300 yards and beats Trevor Lawrence. Outduels Trevor Lawrence. The Browns are 8-5. and five. The Bengals are 7-6. and six. My question to you guys is, because it seems as though both of these franchises are locked into these quarterbacks for the rest of the season, of the two, who do you expect to see keep it going the longest? Well, the Browns, Kevin Stefanski committed to Joe Flacco as the starter for the rest of the year. He looked amazing. And he looked great. I mean, the the, the Joe Flacco train rolls on from this side of the desk (laughs) in the WEPM studios. I've been saying it for weeks. Um, And Jake Browning played well. Um, He's not being asked to do a ton. Uh, Chase Brown made some plays in this game as well. The first touchdown was a check down to Chase Brown. Yeah. Um, At some point, you know, game planning is a a big leads to the success as well. Yes. I, I think Joe Flacco... For all of his deficiencies, he still can't move. He still, again, is somewhat limited in what he does. But I think he gives you such a such a floor just because of his experience. He's a guy that has played in situations like this where you're fighting for playoff position down the stretch. I think I give him the nod over Jake Browning just because of that, just because of the experience. But again, Jake Browning performed well on Sunday. I just think Flacco, like I said, gives you a better floor. And I think the question now becomes, is Kenny Pickett, when he's healthy, at least the seventh best quarterback in the AFC North? Potentially. Same question to you, Mark. Running out of time, though. I'm going to set the scene for you. Imagine this, a uh, two-seeded Baltimore Ravens hosting a seven-seeded Cleveland Browns, and Joe Flacco comes home to play his whole team. (laughs) That's that's a story I want to see. I I think it's fantastic. And I'll say this, from being at the Ravens game yesterday, the people of Baltimore still love Joe Flacco. They showed a flash of the Cleveland game on the big board. They were cheering for Joe Flacco. So they still absolutely love Joe to death in Baltimore. So that could be a really fun matchup if we get it at playoff time. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Joe Flacco, I'm shocked he's playing this good of football at almost 40 years old. And I think the arguments to be had, 
is Kenny Pickett just not good? Is is yes. I don't think it's an argument anymore. It's, it's not an argument. Answer is it, yes. Now, do, uh, does Pittsburgh throw in the towel for him? Though is the real question. Do they do it or no? He gets at least another year because yeah. when it comes down to it, even if they draft a quarterback, they're not going to play him right away. But right. we're going to have to leave it here because we're way behind on this last break. We got to break the take. We'll get Parker's picks on the other side. This is Panhandle Sports Live. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Can't get enough of Panhandle Sports? Head to PanhandleNewsNetwork.com for articles on your favorite teams. Welcome back. Final segment of this Monday edition of Panhandle Sports Live. It is Luke Wicks, Daniel Woods, and of course, Parker Stone. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Proving it never fails. Never failed once. All right, Saturday's lock did hit for the weekend, rather. I did a full weekend lock at NFL picks because we were light on the college this weekend. OBJ does get his touchdown. That was fun to see. The Cowboys ended up being beating the Eagles. And I tied one of my picks from Sunday through Monday as well. We'll go with that now. My lock is Tyree Kills over on receiving yards. Big line, 109.5. But, again, I think he's going to set the pace. The pace he's on right now is going to eclipse the 2,000-yard mark. I think he's able to get 110 receiving yards tonight. It only takes a couple plays for Tyreek Hill to get it, which is the crazy part. I think he's going to be able to get it against a Titans secondary. That is shaky at best is what I'll call it. My other picks for tonight include I got Devon A. Chan as an anytime touchdown score. I think he finds his way into the end zone and becomes more and more the number one running back for Miami as the season winds down and Raheem Mostert slowly starts taking a backseat to Devon Achan. I think he's Achan's able to find the end zone tonight. And I got Jaden Reed's over on receiving yards tonight in the Giants and the Packers matchup. Reed's going to get a lot of burn in this game. No Christian Watson. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. Jaden Reed, I think, is the second best receiver on the Green Bay Packers. I think he's able to get the receiving yards tonight over 44 and a half. So Tyree Kill, 110 or more receiving yards. We've got Devon Chan as an anytime touchdown score, and Jaden Reed is 45 receiving yards or more tonight for the Packers. You guys ever watch PTI? You know how they do the big finish at the end? Yeah. Well, well we're about to do the big finish because four topics I want to talk about. We've got two minutes left, so we'll bounce it back. 15 seconds apiece, guys. Keep it tight. Uh, Daniel Woods, the women's basketball team, undefeated. 9-0. WVU blows out Delaware State. That game was uncomfortable to watch after about five minutes. Completely overmatched Delaware State team. West Virginia, 9-0 and and one game away from entering the Big 12 uh, with an undefeated record. Yeah, Mark Kellogg's a heck of a coach, isn't he, Park? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is what you look for. This team had to hire a coach after Don Putzelwhite left, and they made a slam dunk hire, and this team's playing even better now. The Mountaineer men's soccer team lost in the semifinals of the College Cup. They lose 1-0 to Clemson. Parker Stone, still a successful season for the Mountaineers who set their program record for wins. Oh, no doubt. They're making strides in every season. Last year was an Elite Eight finish. This year they get to the Final Four. If the pace is up to this rate, they're going to a national championship next year. Coach Stratford's doing a great job with the guys over at the soccer club. You've set a very high floor uh, for the program, and you've now made a statement on a national stage where you can recruit to that moving forward. It's really impressive. The Heisman was handed out over the weekend, and Jane Daniels, to many people's unsurprise, was the one who won it. I thought he deserved it. The one high school high school Heisman voter that I asked had him number one. Um, so I think no disagreement there, Daniel. No disagreement whatsoever. Michael Penix had a case. I think he was the only finalist that had a case other than Jaden Daniels. Uh, but I think the Heisman voters got this one right. Yeah, I think it was down to Daniels and Penix Jr. And I think Daniels, just from the stats that he accumulated, put himself in a position to win it. Great for him, and his draft stock's very much on the rise. And lastly, Shohei Otani. Ten years, 700 million big ones to sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Parker Stone, your thoughts? 
Uh, it's going to be a game-changing move, I feel like. Of course, Otani can't pitch this season because of the surgery, but he brings a pop in the bat. Don't try to tell me this is good for baseball, please. <laughs> baseball needs a salary cap. Just don't. All right, that's going to do it for us. We're going to post this episode on our Spotify coming up in just a couple of moments. The award-winning Panhandle Live is coming up, top of the hour. You're not going to want to miss that. For Parker Stone, Daniel Woods, I've been Luke Wicks. Talk to you tomorrow. Where secrets lie in the border fires and the humming wires. Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back. Across the square, across the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.